are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Sophie Stenke, International Diversity and Inclusion at Beam Suntry. Sophie believes in the mantra, nobody wins unless everybody wins. Thank you, Sophie, for agreeing to be a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Really delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Sutla. It's my pleasure and I'm very excited to be speaking with you today. So to start with, tell us a bit about your background. Well, I grew up in Germany in, in East Berlin. So growing up, I always felt a sense of division actually in my own country and even felt that after the war came down. I always was curious, though, about what was happening outside of Germany, what was happening in the world, because I never felt a true sense of belonging. I always felt a bit different. For example, I don't really identify myself or limit myself to just one country. Instead, I'm more curious about what can I learn from other cultures. So for me, it was very clear, actually, at a very early age that I wanted to have a deeper experience and enjoy the complexities of life that you get from other countries and other cultures. And I had the opportunity to attend an international school in Germany where classes were taught in English and where I met many students from around the world. And then right after school, right after I passed my A-levels, I actually spent seven months in France where I worked at the bar and I learned French. And it was the first time I worked and lived and surrounded by a different language. And I really had one of my most enriching moments there, I have to say. I then came back to Germany and I went on to study languages and, and business administration, not really knowing what I wanted to do. But I was always guided by my curiosity to experience different cultures. So what I did, I applied for many different jobs all over the world. And I finally got the opportunity to go to London, where I then started my career in FMCG marketing. And then five years ago, I joined in London, also Beam Suntry, which is a global premium spirits company. I joined them in, in the marketing department. And then three years ago, I moved to Madrid with Beam Suntry to the European head office. So yeah, that is pretty much my journey so far. So this is your journey to your current position at Beam Sanctuary. You look after DEI, you look after the diversity and inclusion initiatives at the company. How did that come about? Exactly. Now I'm leading diversity, equity, inclusion for Beam Sanctuary International. And, and well, I have to tell you, I've never planned to become a DEI professional. In fact, when I started my career, I didn't even know that it was a job. And I also didn't even know that one day I would care so deeply about it, right? Yeah. So what happened was that three years ago, Beam Suntry was looking for DE&I volunteers to really build out the foundations of their DE&I journey. And also, first of all, create awareness for their DEI efforts and their ambitions. And 
at the time, I was sort of not really knowing a lot about DNI, but it really resonated with me because I was at the point in my career where I was sort of stuck. I didn't really progress. And at the same time, I noticed that not everyone had the same opportunities, but that certain people clearly benefited differently from resources, promotion opportunities, or development opportunities, while others really didn't in the same way. And I wasn't really sure why. I didn't know why. So I put my hand up for leading the first Women in Leadership employee group. And I started to speak and connect with many women in the business. And it turned out that we all had a very similar experience and that we all faced very similar feelings in terms of the barriers that we faced. So when I started to run a really in-depth gender assessment to make those challenges that women faced real and to put almost an insight on it versus just a feeling, if that makes sense. And that's when I, again, quickly realized that there are systemic barriers in place in organizations that affect any minority group, not just women. So I really wanted to contribute my time to help build an equitable organization on all levels beyond gender. And that's really the point when I decided that I wanted to change my career from marketing to become a full-time d professional. And it has been not easy, I have to say. It, it, now when I talk about it, it sounds like an easy journey, but it took a lot of reflection, a lot of speaking to a lot of different people. But in the end, I'm very lucky that Beam Century made this career transition, so to speak, happen for me and that they gave me the opportunity to lead DNI and internationally. Well, that's how it came about. That's quite a journey. And what you said was very interesting about not just having a feeling that things are wrong, but having actual data and insights to make your case and to prove your case. So what have been for you the most significant barriers to your career? Great question. Well, so first of all, so that I have to say, I guess I'm a bit of a work in progress and I do still face many challenges, right? As well as opportunities to learn and progress from, obviously. But one of the barriers I faced was the barrier to progress, really, which showed up in a way that the path to progression was not transparent to me. Yeah, And that opportunities for progression were also not shared with everybody. So again, that's when I realized that there are people that are favored over others and that there are different rules and resources for different people. And that there are also unsaid rules that not everybody learns. And so many of us might agree that all humans are equal and should have the same opportunities Yet we can't or we don't see the obstacles that others face because it doesn't really happen to everyone. Which leads me to another challenge that I faced, which is to speak up openly about those challenges that I face, but also to give a voice to the barriers that other employees face, which is now part of the role I am in now. And here, actually, the challenge was not to speak up, but the challenge was to be heard, to be understood and to be taken seriously by people in privilege that don't even understand because they benefit from the way things are done. And the way things are done is normal, or it's seen as normal. 
So realities are very different for people. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that organizations need to be ready to hear different realities. And people who speak up, like this example, like for me, I was always very open um, and I probably burned a few bridges here and there. And But people who speak up also need to be mindful of when they craft their message, where is the organization's at? Because it can backfire. And that is definitely something that also happened to me. So I guess now part of my DNI journey and also part of my job, obviously, is to make sure that we set the rules and conditions that work for everybody, not only for a few, but also to make sure that the systemic barriers are visible, that they are seen as real problems to overcome versus isolated incidences. That's very powerful. Ensuring that people recognize the systemic barriers, I think that is progress because most of the time that recognition doesn't exist. And when you recognize that and you tailor your solutions so that everyone can benefit rather than some people, I think that's progress. That's definitely progress. Have you ever faced the imposter syndrome? Have you felt it? And how did you navigate your way through it? Yes, of course I have. As you say, I think it's a very human emotion. I think everybody has probably felt this at some point in their lives. This feeling of like we're not good enough or we lack confidence. And I think it's a very common feeling, first of all, in men and women. An imposter also can show up in different intensity levels from feeling almost incapable of feeling like a fraud in your job to just feeling a lack of confidence in certain situations. And I definitely had experiences of not feeling good enough. For example, when I moved into DEI, without any background of HR. So that said, I think it's important to always reflect and understand why do those feelings occur and then replace them with a motivating or positive thought. So I always approach this with a growth mindset and also with my individual journey because everybody has their own individual journey and we're never perfect. And it doesn't make sense to also compare yourself to others. So I also always go by the mantra feel the fear or feel the emotion, but do it anyway and continuously expose yourself to those situations that you might feel uncomfortable about. Because for me, that has been the only way to really learn and grow and also learn to understand that I can do it. So this feeling of, oh, maybe I can't turns into something I can. So I think imposter is probably something that everybody has. And it's not just the one thing. It it probably happens over a course of life. It comes up in different phases. And it's easier said than done to navigate this. But I think I see it as a daily practice. I do really take care of what do I think? What are my thoughts? And what do I choose to think daily? And how do I let emotions affect me? So it's like a daily practice to manage this. But I think it becomes a problem if imposter hinders your progression. I think we all have to get used to the idea of allowing ourselves to feel uncomfortable because we don't want to feel any discomfort. Most of the time we want to be in that comfort zone. So that imposter can be a positive thing. You can make it because of, like you said, the growth mindset to overcome it. 
and challenge it and progress forward. Did you, Sophie, at any point in time feel the pressure to fit into the organizational culture wherever you've been working, whether at the start or later on? Yeah, well, I have to say no. I didn't feel pressure to fit in. And the reason is pretty much because I'm very comfortable and confident about who I am and the value I bring. However, I do feel or sense when I don't fit in, obviously. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. And I also think that fitting in, again, is a spectrum from feeling slightly different or excluded in, again, maybe certain moments or in situations where you feel like you're truly excluded. You're like constantly feeling a mismatch with your values. And in my view, it becomes a challenge when there's no room for difference, when there's no room to show up in the way we want to show up and to be welcomed in this way. So I think organizations that adopt an attitude of learning and openness and willingness to consider and implement the ideas of others or just take on board the way they are, and this will really enable them and enable their workforce, but also retain their workforce and just make them more happier and more engaged. And that is what research shows. And I think being genuinely valued and respected involves more than just being included or feel like you're fitting in. Yeah. It really involves the power to help set the agenda, to help make decisions on how and what work is being done and to have your interests being taken into account and then in the end being recognized for your contributions and being given opportunities to advance. And that's when you see you're actually welcomed in an organization. So I think those moments of not fitting in do exist, like the moments of imposter. Yeah. But if it becomes really a permanent feeling that affects your well-being, then I think everybody needs to think about whether they're in the right space. True. Sophie, we all make mistakes. We all think back and think, I could have done this better. And these are not mistakes as in you messed up reporting on financials, but these are mistakes whether you did not find the time to either network or look for a mentor or make the right decisions in choosing what worked for you or the values that worked for you. Did you make any such mistakes along the way? And do you have any learnings from them? Yes, I, I did. I think I probably had many mistakes because I'm also very critical of myself. I think I alluded to this in my earlier response in terms of speaking up. So I consider myself to be the voice of the employees. And I, I feel very okay speaking up about things that people perceive and be a voice for them. And what happened is that I probably shows times when I spoke up, but not in the right way. Yeah. Using the right words, bringing people properly on their journey, knowing the yeah. people I talk to, right? Knowing your audience. So I think that goes back to the learning around, first of all, building your relationships and thinking about how, if you have a crucial conversation or if you have things that you want to talk about that are not easy, that might create contradiction or conflict, you need to prepare. And I think I was a bit maybe naive rushing in there, believing in good intent, believing, oh, everybody will just feel like I did. 
Well, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably one of my biggest learnings. I think it was good mistakes because you only learn through that. Thank you for being open and sharing that because I think how we navigate conflict in the workplace is such an important skill to learn. And like they say, good intention is not everything. <laughs> Moving on to the next question. Do you believe in personal purpose, Sophie? Yes, I do. I really think the beauty of humanity lies in the complexity and, and diversity of all of us. And I do believe that everybody has their own personal path in this world. And with that, a unique purpose to fulfill. In my experience, a personal purpose cannot always be identified intellectually necessarily. It really comes from the heart and it's something that we deeply care about, which is intertwined with our values. So for example, I found my personal purpose really with the DNI work, but it started as a passion project until I realized it is linked to my values and until I realized I really deeply care about it and I want to build up expertise and that I also really enjoy the work. And its challenges, obviously, we just spoke about a few of them. But that said, not every passion, for example, is our purpose. That's why we need to differentiate. And passions sometimes can be a good indication as to where does your energy lead you. But we have many passions, but not everything is our purpose. That's a really good thing to say. What does leadership mean to you and how do you define leadership? Leadership to me is first and foremost a mindset, which is then reflected in our daily behaviors and which then also has an impact, a meaningful impact, ideally on the people around you and the businesses. I think about leadership by asking myself three questions, maybe to help. So first of all, do we create opportunities or do we wait for direction? Are we part of the solution or are we part of the problem? Do we have a growth mindset to continuously learn, reflect, and most importantly, support others in the way they want to be supported and include everybody? Do we create safe spaces or do we lead by fear? And I think great leadership, if those questions are answered in the right way, can be really an engine for doing great things, for unlocking opportunities and potential in people and businesses, and really can be a force for good that can steer and motivate teams towards like a common goal. And this can be big or small. And, and everybody can be a leader because it's a mindset. It yeah. is not a role. It's a yeah. mindset. And I think the final thing there I want to say, because we're also having a DNI conversation, is that Great leaders come in different shapes and forms. They come from different backgrounds. And organizations can move from homogeneous leadership to more diverse leadership, which will take time and preparation and safe spaces. But leadership really shows up and comes in all shapes and forms. That is so true, Sophie. This is something that I'm really keen to promote. And I think we need to do more to encourage different kinds of leaders to step forward and to take the rightful space, spaces they still don't believe they own. So that's some really good, insightful points over there. So things have changed in the last two years. They've been changing for the last couple of years, but in the last two years, it's been more dramatic. 
And I think leadership has also changed. The leader of just two years ago would be very different to what the expectation of leadership is in today's world. So how can leaders lead in a world where things have changed so dramatically and where you have remote teams and hybrid working, people working across geographies uh, and people with different mindset. We are not the same people who leaders are going to be addressing, the same people from two years ago who were open to listening and open to being told what to do. What would your advice be on that? Great question. In my personal view right now, I think the two main ingredients are flexibility and empathy. Flexibility in terms of how we lead people across all levels. So leading across geography really requires a great deal of empathy, understanding, and awareness of how different cultures and teams prefer to interact. So for example, Aaron Meyer's book, which is called The Cultural Map, I don't know if you know this, is a great read to really educate yourself about the very different nuances and preferences so leaders can really learn to flex their styles and lean into the situation and lean into the teams they're working with. And to me, this is similar when it comes to hybrid working. So especially in the current pandemic and then people coming back to work, research shows that men are more likely to return to their office compared to women, obviously, because of their caregiving responsibilities mainly. So they prefer to work from home. And the other insight, which is interesting there, is that 64% of managers believe that office workers are higher performers than remote workers which leads me to a very common bias, which is called proximity bias, right? Which is the idea that employees with close physical proximity to their team or company leaders will be perceived, again, as better workers, as be better performers, and this can lead to favoritism. So going back to flexibility, I really do believe that everybody, especially women, should be given the flexibility to work in a way that helps them to do their job the best possible way. And going back to flexibility, but also empathy, I think what is important is that managers have conversations with their teams, with their individual employees, and really try to understand what is it that they need. Like ask and listen, don't assume. What is it that they need in their work environment, in their personal life? What is going on for them? And then be really flexible to accommodate your needs. Yeah. And the insight here, again, is that organizations that offer employees this full-time flexibility over when, where, and how much they work, they actually see 55% of their workforce as high performers. So it's really moving to enablement, empowering people, because every person knows best what works best for them. And having the trust. Yeah. And the enablement piece is very, very critical and crucial. What can organizations do to enable women to thrive and progress and achieve their potential? Yes. Well, that's probably one of my favorite questions. So, but I think going back to what we mentioned in the beginning, I think the first step to really enable women is to acknowledge that the barriers that women face are real. 
it's not isolated incidences. There is systemic bias. There is systemic barriers. And, and research shows that those gender bias shows up in those critical moments, be it in promotion or hiring decisions, be it in talent reviews or those daily micro moments. For example, who is being hurt in meetings, whose contribution matters, who gets opportunities versus who doesn't. Yeah. So that is really the most important step. And that is almost the first barrier. Now, second, what I would say is I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution. Different women require different support and they need different things at different times in their lives as well. So here I would really take the equity approach, first of all, which obviously means we need to meet people and women where they are and don't assume we know. Again, that means having open conversation about what support women need and don't assume. Now, having said that, there is research that obviously shows that there are systemic challenges that need to be addressed on, on an organizational level. And this goes back to the flexibility. I think to make women truly thrive, you need to provide a fully flexible working space and yeah. a work environment that works for them. And so this is number one. And really, because women, they do juggle personal, professional life responsibilities more than men. So they require flexible mindsets from their managers. And then ask, don't assume, listen and learn. And then if we especially look at women in leadership and as they progress, I think what is really important and what in my experience I've heard a lot is create visibility of different leadership styles. What I hear a lot from women specifically is they cannot see themselves progress because they feel they have a different style. So it's about being open-minded and having role models for different types of leadership style, and which includes those skills that used to be more softer skills, empathy, curiosity, reflection, or maybe even softer style. A lot of times I've heard, oh, certain women are too nice too kind. So they're not being seen as leaders. So really thinking about if you really want to make women thrive, think about what is your leadership paradigm? What is your leadership model? And, and open it up to unlock the true potential and to really understand the root cause. And then obviously creating development programs can definitely help. I clearly have seen this at Beam Sentry. I was leading to women in leadership programs and I could see the value of women feeling more empowered but also knowing there is a name to certain feelings they have, which is a posture that really help to empower them and understand what is going on, but also create the sense of community. What women tend to do more, at least in my experience, is they suffer in silence, they struggle in silence, so and they don't come together in the workspace. In the private space, they do, but in the workspace, they're like, ninjas and they fight for themselves versus coming together as a community to support each other. So I think this is very important. And then the final piece I would say, which also goes back to research, which we see across many organizations, is that gender bias also creeps in in the way women are being reviewed and in terms of their performance. Women are, are getting more negative, more subjective feedback than men. 
and they are more valued based on their past experience versus their potential. Yeah. So that is really to say we need to think about how can performance reviews really be fair and inclusive and objective and making sure we, we all start from the same capabilities. Yeah. Thank you, Sophie. I think you made a lot of very pertinent points. We are at the last question now. And this is something I'm asking because I'm just interested to know. How do you balance your career, your personal life and passions? And is there such a thing as balance? Very good question. Well, I do think there is balance over time. I don't think there is balance in every day because sometimes if you have important things to do, you work harder one week versus the other. But I think in the long run, it's important to have a balance of work, personal life and in hobbies or other passions, because I think that is very important to keep your well-being and to, to be sustainable, to also be able to work sustainably over time. So for me, Yes, I, I do balance that out. I do a lot of yoga. I have my friends, my personal life, obviously. And I think specifically through the pandemic, through the more flexible working approach, I really came to learn and live that it's about the output. It's not about the hours. It's about if you get the job done. And if I want to work on a Saturday or if I want to sleep until 11, but I work until 11 in the evening because then I'm in my flow state. Yeah. This is really, I think, moving away from this very rigid structure from nine to five, you have to do this yeah. and to be more in alignment with your personal rhythm. Yeah. That has worked for me and it's also helps me with balance. That's amazing. Really good to know. And good to hear about aligning with your personal rhythm because we are so wedded to this very old-fashioned idea of having this nine to five that we need to be supervised for how we're working or whether we are productive or not. And yeah, people don't really treat us as adults. So really good to hear that. Thank you very much, Sophie, for making time for this really fascinating and insightful conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Great conversation, Sultan. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.